0: All right, hello out there, world! Welcome to episode seventeen of the Modern Educator Podcast. This is your host Corey Brown, and today I'm joined by my friend and fellow uh, social studies teacher Danielle Jennings. So, Danielle, you want to introduce yourself to the world?
1: Hi, world! My name's Danielle Jennings.
0: <laughs> Great. Yep. So, uh, Danielle, what do you what do you teach? What's your uh, what's your experience in the world of education?
1: Oh, gotcha. Um, so this year I've got a lot of world history classes. World History Regular, World History Honors, and AP World History. And I'm also teaching our three different levels of Russian. So yours one, two, and three.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. And I'm also doing AP World this year. So that's, yeah, yeah, I know. I love it. I'm, I'm enjoying it too, a lot more than I expected, actually. And, uh, Go, go ahead and just give us sort of your full teaching resume as well.
1: Oh, okay, well this I believe is my 12th year teaching overall. This is my fourth year in Clark County School District. Um, before Las Vegas, I was teaching in Arizona where I also taught a multitude of history classes and Russian language. Um, I was the international baccalaureate Russian teacher at that school. So we went all the way up to year number four. Um, prior to that, I lived in Russia where I got to teach English to kindergartners. And I also learned that I do not do well with elementary school aged children. So I wanted to teach secondary school. Um, and so I've just been. I'm lucky enough to be able to teach Russian in every single school I've taught at so far in my career. And of course, history is the always needed classes. Um, I've taught everything from geography to government and economics, Uh, but world history is one of my passions. I absolutely love it.
0: No doubt, me too. I've taught world history every year I've been at CCSD and my major in college was world history. And and I don't know if you can relate to this, but at every school I've been at, the majority of the social studies department thinks world history is like the the worst job they they
1: hate world history because there's so much of it and they're like i don't care about ancient (laughs) india and i'm like how do you not care about the gupta empire the
0: mughals the martha come on yeah but
1: no i love that it world history, at least, I love that it kind of bounces around so much. And that way you do start to get different perspectives. And it really is like a different topic every day. And I like to joke around with students and say that it works for my ADHD, um, but it really does. And I don't think that it's too much of a, a jump to say that. I think that students enjoy the variety of it, too.
0: Oh, yeah. And and it's it's almost like a world cultures class is the way that I present it.
1: Um, Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. That- American history, there's not a lot of it, and you've got to get so deep into the roots, and you got to teach, you know, the the Progressive Age and uh, <laughs> the Gilded Age. Like I don't, I don't care about any of that. Okay, like let, let's go all over the world. Let's experience stuff. Like yeah. I, I just did this big lesson about Angor Wat, and kids thought it was so cool.
1: Yes, they're like, oh, that's what the pictures are of. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I yes. love it.
0: Awesome. Okay, so uh, why don't you tell me what is your educational philosophy?
1: Um, well, that, that one's hard, especially right now, given the current circumstances. So my educational philosophy this year has undergone some shifting. Um, but in in general, my educational philosophy is if students are trying and they're interested in a topic, then I've done my job. And I know that a lot of students are motivated by grades, which is understandable, but I always refer to myself as the scorekeeper because everything I do is out of points and there's rubrics for everything. And so the students know exactly where my expectations are and how to meet those expectations. Um, That being said, like in my Russian classes, I'm a little bit more lenient on those expectations just because the language is so tough. And so, for that class, my philosophy is more, if you're trying, I'm here to help. And um, the language is tough. The pronunciation is tough. Some students can't roll their Rs. And I'm like, guys, that's fine. Like we fake it till we make it kind of a thing. Um, but this year with COVID and, and with the online teaching, it has been an interesting shift because not everything that I would normally do in a class translates great into online class. And uh, so a lot of my normal standards and expectations have definitely had to start moving to a more proficiency or a standards-based scale just mm-hmm. in order to figure out what the students actually know or are able to do.
0: Yeah, and and I can say so much of my philosophy is creating this sense of joy and community and and really vibing with the kids. Like, I want to be a mentor to kids, and I can't build that relationship online. I'm trying. I'm succeeding with some kids, but it's significantly more challenging in the online environment.
1: It really is. And I mean, for me, at least, that's one of the reasons why I come into my classroom to work is because the background on my uh, webcam is the decorations and part of my classroom culture where the students can see a little bit of me and they can see some of the brightness and the colors and the history and the Russian posters that are in my classroom. Um, But like you said, it just, it doesn't really translate that well into an online environment. And so, creating that sense of trust with the students where they can ask questions and they don't have to feel timid or afraid of looking silly, it's almost impossible, at least from the first three weeks of school for me.
0: Yeah, I i think things are getting better, but it's a challenge, no doubt.
1: That it is. Um,
0: okay, so let's, let's go back to the time before pandemic. Uh-huh. Uh, why don't you, share with us your greatest success in the classroom.
1: Oh, gosh. So probably I had a student who, she was competing in a national competition for Russian, and um, she was trying to basically get a government scholarship to go and study abroad for the summer, and it's all government paid. And so we were working towards her application and everything in the fall, and she went through multiple rounds of interviews. And then she finally had her final interview because she made it to the final round in this competition. And she told me, she said, "Miss Jennings, I just don't think that I have what it takes. I don't think that they're going to be impressed with me. I don't think that they're going to think I can do it. And so we had this big long talk about, you know, where her potential is at the time she was a high school sophomore. So about 16 years old and, we just kind of talked through her kind of shakable confidence there. And by the time she left my room, she felt really good about it. And over the weekend she had her final interview and we find out the results about a month later. And uh, she was one of the finalists to go and study Russian abroad. And she was just so excited that, she was able to present this confident persona enough during this final interview, and she was so nervous about it. Um, but she t- told me that you know I helped her to realize that she actually is more than capable and more than qualified of doing this. Um, so for me, that was definitely one of my biggest like, yes, this is why I'm a teacher moment.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's and and how long was this? Did the student continue to pursue Russian and?
1: um so this was about five years ago um they did minor in russian in college uh they ended up majoring in international studies
0: well hey i mean that's you know russia's pretty big thing you got to know in the international studies world no doubt yeah um yeah, but... cool yeah oh do you have anything else to? to...
1: no that was it it was just oh. I, I still get so excited for her and i just can't stop smiling so
0: yeah yeah. And, and, yeah every once in a while i do find myself like thinking like yeah that kid got a college scholarship because of me and it's it, it builds you up in this profession. We definitely yeah. need more of that nowadays too. Yes. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, so now let's go with the flip side of that. Have you ever had any disastrous lessons or as we as teachers will call them, learning moments
1: <laughs> in, in uh, your
0: teaching experience?
1: Oh, yes. Um, I think probably one of, well, Uh, You know, at the time when you're planning your lesson, you think it's going to go great. And then the time actually comes to implement the lesson. And at the time I was teaching a senior government and economics class and we were talking about supply and demand. And so we were talking about the ways that a supply curve and demand curves would shift. And um, at the time I thought I was really hip to the young people culture because I wasn't that much older than them. I was 22 at the time and, you know, seniors about the age of 17, 18. And so I decided... Obviously I was gonna show the hit song by uh, Beyonce, I believe it was the To The Left, To The Left video. Okay. When we were talking about shifting the curves to the left. Um, I,
0: I think it's, well, you know, it's definitely a clever pop cultural reference.
1: I thought so too. Uh, the the students, however, um, literally never let me live it down, and it got them so off track. Even though I only played like 30 seconds of that song, I could not get them back the mm-hmm. whole rest of the class to actually look at the items that would shift a supplier demand curve. And so it was one of those things where I said, okay, well, we can't do that next period. So the next period, I didn't play the music video, and some of the students had already heard from the previous period, and they're like, "Miss Jennings, where's, where's the video? Like, I was where's, like, where's, yeah, we're not doing that. Say? Yeah. Where's Beyonce? Where's Queen B? And I was like, oh no. But uh yeah.
0: Because obviously you didn't expect it would be this whole thing.
1: (laughs) I I didn't think so. I had no idea. And I, I thought it was really funny. I thought I was gonna connect with the students and it took them on a completely different tangent that I was incapable of getting them back from.
0: Yeah. And you know, every year on the first day of school, I do this sort of get to know Mr. Brown presentation. Uh-huh. And uh, I've I've done this presentation every single period of all my classes for the last five years. And for whatever reason, one of my classes last year, when I got to the part about how I lived in Korea, one student asked, "Did I date Korean women?" And I said yes. Uh-huh. And by just saying yes, the kids never let it down. Like <laughs> they just kept bringing it up for the whole school year. And I'm like, well, yeah. Like I'm a single man living on another country. 22 years old, gonna, gonna talk to ladies. Like, you know I mean,
1: when in Rome you do as yeah, the Romans like, do. I,
0: but for some reason it was like a scandal to these oh. kids. And I'm like, it's not scandalous. It's living life. So yeah, <laughs> they, they just never wrote it down. It was the weirdest thing. I know. Uh, and, and
1: sometimes you just think, I, I don't understand. And I'm kind of okay <laughs> with not understanding.
0: Yeah. I I just want you all to leave this alone and let's learn about history. Okay. You know, you don't, you don't have to make a comment every time an Asian woman is referenced in some way. Oh no. I know. I'm like, please children, let's (laughs) learn. Uh, okay. Next question. Do you have any unique classroom strategies you'd like to share with the podcast?
1: Oh, Um, well, sure. I mean, I, I use like an attention getter, right. Um, I know we're doing this on webcam. So I obviously have the bell.
0: Hey, cool. So
1: Sometimes I use that. Um, other times, I don't know if you can see it behind me, but I have a small gong in the oh, back.
0: Can, can you make sound off the gong right now? I
1: can, I can. Hold on just okay. a second. Okay,
0: all right. I'm, I'm excited for this. This is the first musical moments in the Modern Educator podcast. But I've even had music teachers on this this podcast too.
1: And then sometimes when we're in a history class and I need to get their attention, I'll use the gong. And it is like the most terrifying sound for the front half of the class because it's so unexpected. And so they all of course jump, but here it is. (laughs) And then um, in my Russian classes, we do this thing where I say the Russian word for waterfall, vadapad, and then they have to use their hands to bring down the rain. And then they also have to go shh. <laughs> so they're my waterfall for attention getting. Um, but that's I mean, cool. I really like those those strategies as far as like just a, a unique way to get their attention. Um, but I mean, for me, it, it's literally something that I do four times a week, if not more in each class.
0: Hmm. Yeah, wow, that's smart. Cause usually it's just me all right kids time to do whatever so yeah and and maybe i'll strain my throat eventually if i keep doing that
1: well and i know everyone has their own thing uh the guy that teaches next door to me he um he does the red robin he says red robin and then the kids go <laughs> yum so but so he, he said sometimes it takes him like three times for the rest of the class to hear what's going on as far as the red robin yum, but the kids like it. It's one of those silly gimmicks that I think it really helps create a culture in your classroom where the kids know that we're here to have fun, but also have some serious discussions and, and yeah. work done.
0: And that that's the that's the winning culture right there. You want kids to look forward to coming into your class and you want your kids to leave your class knowing that they learned something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because uh, weirdly enough, especially at the AP level, kids want to learn. Like They're, they're
1: hungry for it. They really are. Wow. And I, th- I think especially with the, the COVID closure, they're they're really anxious to show us what they know and what they can do, which, I mean, I didn't think that my AP world history students were going to be this motivated to do the work that I'm assigning. And it has been a very pleasant surprise.
0: I I can say the same thing with AP World but I can't say the same thing with all my classes.
1: Yeah, no, just so. just the, just AP World for now. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and it's it's surprising how smooth things are running. Uh okay, so my next question, what advice would you give to a new educator entering the profession? Uh
1: honestly, I mean I I mentor student teachers typically, so like I have a student teacher right now and oh. I feel like my advice is is pretty much the same is you try, there are going to be lessons that don't go down the way you plan, but you keep trying and you make those adjustments. And it would be the same for a new to the profession educator is it's going to be hard, especially when you're a first year teacher. And if you're teaching a topic or a a course that's out of your comfort zone, but that you're still, you know, qualified to teach, it's, it's going to require a lot of time and a lot of work, but you just have to remember that it is going to be this way. It will be better the next year, and it's the connections that you make with the students that really help you get through it.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And and hold on, let me expand on that. How is it having a student teacher in this online setting?
1: Yeah, That's so it's a weird. great question. It's a great question, Mr. Brown. It is incredibly <laughs> weird. Um, you know, he was a practicum two student of mine last semester, and so most of practicum two, he spent observing me teaching classes, which was fine. And he had done, I think, two or three lessons where he tried teaching. And he basically like taught my lesson that I had provided him, you know, just to get him comfortable in front of the class. And then the closure happened and he we weren't really allowed to do anything. And so now coming back in, our plans over the summer, I had given him summer homework as far as getting um, familiar with the curriculum that he would be teaching, because he's not teaching Russian, obviously. Um, and everything just sort of went up in the air and I feel like we both landed on our heels and we're trying to figure it out. Um, but it's really hard. Normally the student teacher kind of a curve is they kind of start out always just doing lecture for the first week or two that they're actually teaching because you know, they're the, the content masters and, and they feel comfortable presenting the information, um, and then the mentor teacher kind of pokes and prods them and says, okay, well, what are you gonna put on the kids? What kind of activities are we gonna have the kids do? How are you gonna assess for learning here? And, and you know, they grow that way. Um, and currently with the 40 minutes and stuff, the live and 40 minutes asynchronous that our school has going on, it's, it's really difficult um, because we're putting most of our lectures online for the students to view as homework. Yep. And then in-class time is left for discussion and things like that. But 100
0: um, on the same page as you, that's, that's how I'm running it too.
1: Yeah. And, but, but even then it, it's difficult because my student teacher cannot be in the same room with me. Like they can't come to campus. So he's operating from his home and his laptop. Um, and he doesn't have access to all the resources that are here just in my classroom. And then of course we have the technological issues of like the lagging connection and it, and then it c- cuts out. And you know, the students are like, what did what what was just said i don't know and i don't know it's it's really hard and to be honest i I feel bad that this is the student teaching experience but at the same time this isn't an
0: authentic experience for student teaching
1: you know i i kind of see that point but then i'm like well i mean how much more authentic can you get right like all the teachers are doing the same thing too you know and um trial by fire (laughs) yeah it really is and I, I feel bad, but I mean, it's, we're trying to make the best of it and I'm trying to give him new strategies, but I, I feel like a first year teacher too in teaching in an online environment as I'm trying to figure out like, well, if I do a breakout room here, is this going to work? Am I giving the students enough time? And so it, it's very difficult when I'm used to being the person who has the experience and can um, suggest resources and okay, well, maybe next time we can do it like this. And I just feel like I'm that first year teacher too.
0: Yeah, that's rough, and and even if my advice of this isn't an authentic student teaching experience, do your student teaching once school restarts. Well, I know at my school we've had a lot of teachers quit, especially the older. Oh, really? Teacher. And so there are vacancies, and we gotta fill them up. And uh, yeah, like what what other choice is there? So
1: well, and exactly, and I'm like at least if they complete their student teaching in November, you know, they get their bachelors or whatever in December or January, they could apply to be long term subs for those positions, because I'm sure that the district as a whole has a great need of them.
0: Oh, yes. (laughs) Anybody listening to this podcast, you want to be a teacher in Las Vegas, uh, there's jobs, good jobs here. I say, I'm going to be
1: honest, I'm I'm surprised that you guys have had some uh, teachers like resign or retire early. We haven't had any at our school. Really? Yeah. And I mean, I know we have uh, one of our teachers is this is their last year and then they retire at that 30 year mark. But I mean, they told us, they said, well, we're just going to make the best of it. And, you know, I don't have enough sick days to do the buyout. So here I am.
0: (laughs) Okay, good. Good on that teacher. Uh, All right, cool. Let's uh, let me ask you this question. What is the best lesson you've ever done where you just you knew you killed it?
1: The trial of Genghis Khan.
0: Ooh, tell me about it
1: so we put genghis khan on trial for crimes against humanity and at our school and i, I had done this back in arizona but it went so much better here at uh, my high school because our magnet program focuses on public service professions including a pre-law program Ooh. and so my students who were in the class had a good mix of these different like magnet program students in each group. And so the prosecution and the defense teams both had at least one of these pre-law students on those teams. And the questions that they were asking and the witnesses, they were super in character. Um, We dressed up if they had wanted to dress up, they could. And um, I mean, they performed way beyond my expectations. And the questions though that the prosecution and the defense teams were asking the witnesses, they had kind of prepped the topics with the witnesses, but then they just started grilling them. And my witnesses really stood up and were like, no, I am in character, let me tell you, because I was the Chinese peasant woman and I will tell you exactly what I saw. And I mean, their historical authenticity in the actual mock trial, I was just astounded by the amount of research that everyone had done to actually get in character. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. So I had emailed um, all of our administrators and I said, you guys gotta come down here and check this out because these kids are killing it right now. And I had another class the next period. And so I was hoping that that would also be the case and it was, and so the admin came down and they got to see it. And I mean, it was like just the best. And I was like, killed it guys, you guys killed it. Cause it was one of those projects where they had the guidelines, they knew the expectations and it was up to them. To determine how well they were going to meet those expectations, and they just blew me out of the water.
0: I should steal that idea because, and and like I, I have a pretty big advantage that my students in AP World, I taught them in AP Human Geo last year, oh, and nice. I know there's some kids that would love to act as, you know, Genghis Khan or Kublai Khan or Marco Polo or whoever, and they could, yeah,
1: yes, and well, because I made it. A little different. I don't know that I would say better, but the next year I asked our freshman class, one of our freshman classes, to be the jury. So that way they had no prior knowledge of the topic. And so then, because my classes were smaller the next year, so we were able to do it and we didn't need to make our own jury. And so allowing the freshmen to kind of be the new faces and kind of having like an audience for the class to perform for, um, it was still really good. But I think the freshmen were a little confused. They're like, "Who's good is Con? Um, <laughs> they were still able to come up with a verdict but you know it was uh it was just another interesting experience but um yeah that first year here it was uh, way above and beyond my expectations wow.
0: yeah but, but and and now let's talk could you do something like that in an online environment
1: the way our high school is currently um, operating in an online environment it would be nearly impossible for me to yeah. do yeah because and- uh, our attendance is not mandatory and you know, they have three different ways that they can be marked present. So, like, even if I were to assign the various roles in the trial, I have no way of actually holding them accountable for showing up to the live class.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of in that same boat, too. And, and I just think the limitations of the technology, like, because I'm sure if you really wanted to give it this mock trial vibe, which you were saying was so effective, people would need to glance at the faces of the jury and they need to look at the faces of the witnesses. And the way that yeah. Google Meets is set up, it's sort of like one person at a time is in the spotlight. So-
1: Yeah, even if you set it up in the gallery view, they become so small that, you're right, you couldn't see the facial exp- uh, expressions.
0: Yeah, and, and you probably couldn't build the same tension if you're in the room. Yeah, like there's gotta, gotta, yeah. In, in, the room is, is where it's at. You got to yeah. do that stuff there. Um, all right, and then my last uh, sort of preset question, uh, are there any educational concepts that you either champion or disagree with? I'm talking about direct instruction, flipped classroom, group work, uh, Pavlovian rewards, <laughs> like these kind of big thinking education concepts.
1: I'm gonna be honest in general, I'm a fan of all of them depending on the situation. Um, there's I don't think that you can use any one of these concepts like consistently throughout your whole teaching career and expect it to still have great end results for the students. Um, but if you think about the goal of the unit or of the lesson, then each of those concepts, I think, can be better used in those goals, whether it's a unit or a lesson. I mean, intrinsic rewards are great. And I would love if all the students showed up just for the love of learning. But extrinsic motivations help, too. Um, If we were in class, like in Russian classes, I'll cook Russian food and bring it in um, sometimes to celebrate, like, when the class kind of masters a skill. Uh, And so we'll have some Russian food or AP test review. I go to Costco or Sam's Club and I get a big bag of candy. And as we're doing the review in class, you get it right. Boom, here's some chocolate. And, you know, it's... In general, I am a fan of group work. Um, I'm a fan of peer tutoring, but especially in larger groups, there tends to be you know, those one or two students who end up slacking off and putting the rest of the work on the other group members. So like even group work, I try to balance that out by having another summative grade in their group evaluation. Um, and it holds everyone a little bit more accountable rather than just, oh, okay, this was the end result, everyone gets the same group grade, because obviously not everyone puts in the same amount of work and effort into a group project. But like I said, I I think it it always depends on what your goal is, and then you just have to find those concepts or methods that help you to reach that goal.
0: Yeah, well, and I think being an AP teacher, the goal is always pass the AP test, and so it's, uh, and look some some teachers say that teaching to a test is the worst idea and not great teaching but i disagree i think a standardized test is a way to evaluate students i mean people argue with me but i'll say fairly and i'll say it's also sort of a way to evaluate a teacher
1: you know fairly. corey i actually 100 agree with you i not that I like teaching to a test necessarily, but I like teaching to the expectations or the standards of the test, so long as those standards and expectations are clear to the teachers. If there's ambiguity mm-hmm. in what those standards and expectations are on the teacher's end, or you know, on the test, if they're just ambiguous and you're not sure where that bar is, then I feel like it, that stinks because then the students are at a disadvantage because they have a less confident teacher who honestly, they might not know where those standards lie. Um, but like, I, I agree, I think on AP tests or even international baccalaureate tests and CLEP tests for college credit, there are clear expectations on the knowledge and the skills that students need to be able to demonstrate. And we get them for about eight months in order to help them build on those skills and the content. And I think that it, it is fairly straightforward. Um, you know, last year the AP test went through some changes and yep. IB just canceled their external examinations, um, and they just went with their internal exams that teachers gave. So, you know, everyone kind of made some accommodations, and for some classes, I think College Board made very clear new standards for the 2020 AP exams, and, and for other classes, the standards, I think, were a little less clear. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I, I agree. I, I think teaching to standards, it's the exact same as why we have Nevada State content standards.
0: But but let me let me elaborate on this, and this sort of supports your argument. Nevada State content standards are kind of a mess if no, you looked at them recently. Yeah, and yeah ever since they, they went
1: through that edit.
0: Yeah, they went through that edit and they said, okay, teach everything topically, but we're not gonna tell you exactly what you have to focus on. Like, yeah. we want you to teach the history of war. Which war? Your choice. And I, I think that's a mistake. I think that there should be a set number of historical events, historical characters, historical themes that students should be expected to learn from a history class at any Nevada high school. But, I'm
1: not gonna disagree with you there. I for that reason I prefer the key concepts and the yep. unit guides that College Board puts out for AP World history.
0: No doubt. And you know, like because of that too, I I've been preparing for AP World this whole summer here, and I'd like learned about uh in zynga of mataba for the first time she's a cool lady i'm so glad i got to deep dive into that and i'm like man how have i never heard about her before
1: i know and marjorie kemp and students are like who did what where i'm like oh guys and they're like oh sure and i'm like no really it's an illustrative example College Board clearly says you need to know her, and they're like, "Oh, okay, game on." It's you're right. It's not some big concept of women in medieval history. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we, we got Marjorie Kemp, but we're gonna yeah. talk about her specifically. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. Um, all right, and then so I, I think I want to open up the conversation now to w- what are your general thoughts, ideas, opinions about this online learning environment? You've already made some expression. You're not a fan, but. Uh, um,
1: yeah, I I mean my impression is is just that it's it's not what anyone expected and it's very stressful for all parties. Yes. Teachers, students, parents, admin, extended family members for those people who have like grandparents trying to help out the younger students and I think there is such a a big digital divide that it, it's really hard to know where students are at any given point in a lesson. You know, if we were in class, you could tell by the facial expressions if students are confused, or you could do a quick, you know, thumb up or thumb down, do we get it? Or I could walk around and sort of see the work that they're doing and provide feedback at that time. And right now, I know different schools are are doing things a little bit differently, but my school for example is not requiring cameras to be on for students which is understandable given everyone's different circumstances um, but it it also makes it very difficult for me to gauge how well students are understanding the information that we're covering like in a discussion Uh, most students are more willing to type in the chat feature than to unmute themselves even even if the video is off and so it's it's just really hard and so you know when you're trying to figure out do i need to reteach that should i reteach that alls we can really do is go to the canvas assignments and say well based on how they're doing does it does it look like we need to um and i mean the history classes i think are going a little easier for me but like the language classes i'm like guys if we're not willing to speak the language i i mean like i'll sit there in class and like my russian one students we just started learning like family vocabulary And so I'll ask them, I'll say, repeat after me, please. And I'll I'll say a word like mama. And out of a class of 26, two kids will unmute themselves to actually repeat after me. And
0: Uh,
1: you know, obviously like if you're in a classroom, there's that stress of this new foreign language. And a lot of times students feel that fear where they don't want to be the one to risk it. Um, And even now in this online environment, students are still feeling that risk. And all I'm doing is hoping that at home they are trying to say the word, without their mics on because then their homework for me is to record an audio file of them saying these words and so i'm like well that's the first time then that, that i'm really going to hear it is in a formative assessment well a formative homework assignment where they're going to get a score you know so i can't provide that corrective feedback at the time which for me it's, it's very frustrating and i'm seeing the same thing in my russian 2 and my russian 3 classes is that Students are logging in, but they're not unmuting themselves and they're not showing um, the video, which for a language class, I I don't need the video, but I need the audio to get that kind of immediate Mm -hmm. feedback. And so most of my homework assignments there are like audio based because I was like, well, I guess we're gonna go more oral communication skills and listening communication skills this year. Um, But it's just, it's really hard and I know it's stressful for everybody. And we just, we keep trying and I just keep reminding myself that For our high school students, they have between six and eight classes, and it's just a lot. And so I try to limit myself to what is actually necessary for me to get the feedback that I need on how well they're understanding these concepts. And so um, it's been a big shift for me because normally um, I'm used to assigning a little bit more work. And so I've had to scale it back to say, okay, well, what's in the best interest of the students? What's in the best interest of their mental health, not just their academic abilities?
0: Dang. Yeah, and uh, to go off on uh, some some of these concepts you just said, like uh, my lesson yesterday, um, I assigned homework back on Monday saying, hey, kids, watch this video, and we're going to talk about it in class on Thursday. I, I see all these statistics about how kids watch my videos on Canvas, and out of my 40 students, only six kids watch the video. Oh, my goodness. So when the class started, I'm like, I can't really do the activity referencing this video because nobody watched the dang thing. So right. in my live class, I was like, okay, I've got to, you know, reteach, re-edit this. Uh, kids, watch the video. And it kind of sucked.
1: Yeah. You know? I tried this week actually, I tried. So we do like a usually it's the first 40 minutes of the period are your live. 40 minutes and then yeah. asynchronous time. And so this week with my AP World students, I tried switching it. And so the first 40 minutes I gave them to watch videos in order to participate in the discussion the last 40 minutes, because I ran into the same issue last week. It was me talking to nobody because no one was contributing either in the chat or um, you know unmuting themselves. And we had a much better discussion this week because I gave them that in-class time to watch the videos. So I was like, okay, well, it was interesting. Um, And I think in general, they enjoyed it because they knew what we were discussing. And then I gave them that class time just to watch the videos. But um, yeah, it was just interesting.
0: But I'll tell you, I, I gave my students, you know, I said, okay, watch the videos and I'm, or the video and I'm looking on my canvas. I think six additional kids watched it. So 12 out of 40, still a pretty terrible ratio yeah uh, i i feel like i i don't really have power over these kids not saying i'm some kind of power hungry evil teacher man but i i need to do everything i can to hold these kids accountable and i i mean i guess the next steps are like calling parents and stuff but what i should say hey hey mom your your son or daughter just isn't doing their online education
1: yeah i it's it's very difficult because you're like well I mean, we can assign grades, you know, yeah. and that's, that's it. And I know progress reports open up next week. And so I know I've been handling a lot of emails from parents asking about, cause obviously there are issues with grades syncing up between Canvas and Infinite Campus. And so I think, um, for a lot of families that this progress grade window is, is going to be really crucial for them to be seeing yeah. like what is working for them and what's not. And like you said, I'm hoping that we see more effort being done on that asynchronous time on the homework that we would normally be assigning because with such a limited amount of live minutes with the kids, I, I don't want to spend it lecturing. That's they, I can no. do a flipped video and then they can still watch me covering the content, but I want to work on skills.
0: No no but if,
1: if we don't have the content, then it's going to be really tough to get those skills going if they don't know what to use in skill building.
0: And the reality that I'm finding is, I think out of my total 200 students, probably 140 kids have a 90% or higher. Which oh, wow! Is crazy abnormal. Okay, it's it's just way more than half. My kids have almost perfect scores, wow. but then the other 60 kids have more or less zero percent Fs. And it's just you, you either you've been on pace, you're doing it all or you're doing nothing and like there's nobody living in the middle. It's really abnormal. But yeah, you're not experiencing that.
1: (laughs) You know, I mean, it's it's hard to tell right now because there are a lot of sync issues between Canvas and Infinite Campus. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of missing assignments that are dragging kids down. I know for most of my classes, we're having our first exam next week. Um, So that'll really kind of hopefully be able to gauge correctly where their mastery is of certain concepts. But but now that it's all online, I mean, all we can really do is put a time limit on it and hope that the time limit discourages uh, cheating. And I mean, I've had students who say, Well, can I use my notes? And I'm like, straight up go for it because I can't factor it. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, knock yourself out. Like, I and hope I, I've done a good enough job, so. I
0: assigned my AP World students their first self-written DBQ today. Ooh. Uh, yes, yeah, I'm, I'm bringing it in early. And You uh, are. Mr. Brown, do we only have 40 minutes to do this? I'm like, how am I gonna control you, kid? Like, do, do it however wow. you can do it. So, but, but and I totally relate to you on the whole teaching skills and the live lessons. Cause uh, Danielle, what I've sort of set up is I see my kids twice sort of three times a week but for the purposes of this i see them twice a week the first day we review the pre-recorded video lessons that i submitted and on the second day we do writing skills yeah so it's just smooth very predictable manageable lessons
1: yeah i for my ap students and my honors world history. I, with the video lessons, I make a like three to five question summative quiz from the video. Just if you've watched the video, you guys should ace this quiz. No problem. Um, and I have found that that is a good motivator for them to watch the videos prior to class. Um, but I still get those kids who, who don't do it. And I'm like, okay, well I I gave you a week. So, I mean, we're well past this topic now, now this is sort of defeating the point, but, um, I mean, I assign alternative work for them, but it, it's definitely something that is a uh, it's an interesting time to be teaching. In, and I really am looking forward to the day where we can actually be back in person. I just don't know when that's going to be.
0: Yeah. And then even if we pull the trigger and we say, OK, we're going back to school, odds are there'll be some sort of hybrid thing. And like kids could still be online if they wanted to. So then we'll more or less have to do two jobs every day. I'm um, yeah. I, I don't have a, I don't know what the transition back to the classroom looks like. I'm rather discouraged.
1: Yeah. And I know, I know for our school, like we don't have a hybrid schedule made for our students. Like they're, they were just given their normal year long course schedules, which is how like it was not what the school board of trustees were talking about doing. Um, so we were kind of like, Oh, okay. And, um, it's made it very interesting to think about coming back to school because we don't have a schedule in place to do the hybrid option. We don't have a cohort C scheduled in place for those students who choose to just continue doing the distance learning. So uh, personally, like, I don't know. I don't expect us to go back to in-person school this year. Wow.
0: I, I am of the opinion that we'll go back after winter break. Um, You think? Uh, and I've even had some friends predict we'll go back October 10th at court. Wow. So that's, yeah, that's like 30 days away or so. So I, we'll we'll see. Um, but I, I just think a whole lot of parents wouldn't agree with, with October 10th. That's just maybe a little too close for comfort.
1: Yeah. I, I just, I know that the board of trustees is going to review the information and the data from Clark County every 90 days and then make a decision on what they're going to do and And clearly you know what they decided this last time was not what they had originally um, been discussing so i'm like anything could happen there's that definite possibility so i i look forward to it when it happens but i just would like it to be done safely and i know that most of the students also really want to come back to in-person school but there's just a lot of other factors that you know we just can't control And, and We've had staff members and we've had students who have personally contracted COVID. And I mean, it it puts them down and out for at least a week. And, you know, obviously having that nearby or surrounding by other students, you know, it's a big risk. And I I don't know how the district or how the state would safely reopen schools. Well,
0: like Bishop Gorman High School, a private high school here in Las Vegas, uh, it opened up its doors for the first day of school. Mm -hmm. And I think by what, day two or day three, kids were testing positive for COVID. And they did online learning now, so like they went through that whole process to open their doors, only to close them almost immediately.
1: So exactly. So, I mean, hope for the best, but plan for being here all year, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm planning to be here till December, till winter break. I'm not planning stuff after that. So, you know, just get me to what the middle of Unit Five of AP World History. Yeah. That's my (laughs) current plan structure. Um, Okay, and then, you know, Danny, another thing that I want to sort of share on this podcast is uh, that uh, for the last two years, I've recruited you to help Mm -hmm. me run this review session for AP Human Geography. And I, I was thinking about this, and in all my years of being a teacher here in Clark County, you are the only other person I've actually seen teach to kids. Oh. I know, how weird is that? But yeah, no, like all of my friends who are teachers, all of my going to school every day, I have never witnessed another teacher interact with children. I mean, I I guess, okay, in the hallways and stuff and maybe a little bit after school, but yeah, I've never observed another class. And I observed you, I guess, sort of twice uh, now, working with AP Human Geo Kids and I mean, you know, I'll, I'll say it to the public: Danielle Jennings knows how to work with kids. She does a great job. Yay. High five, Danielle Jennings. But uh, I and I mean, I I want to say, like, I as I, I remember, this was what when we were at I don't know, Silverado High School, I think, mm-hmm. uh, doing a review session. I I saw that you have this personality where you get super excited about writing, and you're you're trying to build that up with the kids. <laughs> and and I was like, I was like, wow, like I do some of these same things, and. It made me reflect like why is it that me as a teacher why aren't i encouraged or given the ability to watch other teachers teach i feel like i could learn so much from them
1: you could i mean i i know i think at our school well, two years ago we were going through the accreditation process so we had other people coming into our room including other teachers and i mm-hmm. mean just the staff feeling of course it, it kind of makes everyone nervous you almost feel like it's a formal evaluation but our our admin really liked that process. And so um, the following year, last year, they asked us, hey, you know, if you guys are you know, having a really cool lesson and you don't mind other people coming in and observing, like send out an email and maybe while they're on their planning period, they can come in. And, and we did that last year and I got to go into an English class and they were doing an interesting, like a tag team Socratic seminar. Um, and like, I really liked it. I took my um, student teacher with me just so he could get some exposure to something else. And for for me, it wasn't a strategy that I would have used um, just the way they ran it, but I do do Socratic seminars and Harkness discussions in general. It was just an interesting way to do the tag team idea. Um, And I I really, I think when it comes down to it, teachers are nervous for being critiqued, like in a negative way, but at least in my limited experience, because like you, I I really haven't seen very much, like your escape rooms are amazing. And I've never seen a teacher put that much effort into building their own escape room. Thank you.
0: Yes. Yes. Thank you.
1: you. I mean, I was like, um, if you're going to sell that, I would be happy to buy it. But I don't know that I have the time or the expertise to make it correctly.
0: It's it's not professional enough to be sold. It was just like me nailing in <laughs> on two by fours
1: <laughs> but I mean it but it was so fun and it's that game kind of aspect that students enjoy and I'm like I want to play but um I mean I just even though we all have planning periods and well I should say most do if they haven't sold their planning period I think especially at the high school level it gets really hard to balance all of the necessities that we have to do every day and then also want to go and see someone else's lesson but I know, I think admin kind of has to create that culture of we're not evaluating anybody. We are not critiquing anybody. We're just trying to share good instructional strategies. And I know for us that sort of stemmed from our accreditation process and they've spent a lot of our SBCT time doing that kind of teaching strategies and teaching methods. Um, And then they were like, well, you know what? Like let's put our money where our mouth is and like, let's just open it up. Like you don't have to, but if you'd like. And I mean, I think in general, not this year, obviously, but like last year, we'd have probably an email every week from one Mm -hmm. of the teachers saying, hey, like I'm doing this today. Like if you guys want, you can swing by. Um, These are the periods that we're going to be doing it. And not that every teacher can go every time it happens, but I think having that kind of openness and talking about different teaching methods and different teaching strategies, I think that's really what it's, about if it can be done. Obviously, at a big comprehensive high school, there's a lot more teachers and a lot of moving parts that you have to worry about. Um, But it is nice. I've really enjoyed it. Just the opportunity to invite other professionals into my classroom and sort of hopefully get an idea or two because then it does normally spawn conversations of, well, how did you set that up? What did you do to kind of get the students ready for that? And I think that that's really nice when you can have those one-on-one conversations with teachers who are just curious about improving their craft.
0: Uh, Because I really love to watch the trial of Genghis Khan. I think that'd be amazing. And then I could, and it's not necessarily that I would copy your idea or say your idea is terrible. It's I would see it in action and hopefully become inspired to modify Mm -hmm. it and make it more comfortable for me. Um, And like when I was very briefly a door-to-door salesman Oh my goodness. I know it was a terrible job, but I'd spend like an hour every day before they sent us out and we would practice knocking on invisible doors in front of other guys who were in our door-to-door salesman company. And like, you know, every once in a while they would like be really rude to us or sometimes they'd be really nice to us. And like, we were just exposing ourselves to different styles. And as soon as we would finish this kind of mock door-to-door sales interaction, they would critique us and give us ideas oh. for how to be better. And I, I feel like if door-to-door salesmen are doing these <laughs> this kind of uh, community critiquing, community analyzing every day, why can't teachers? Um, yeah. It, but I, I, and I, I, well, especially now in the world of COVID. So let's pretend like we're back in normal school year. I, I feel still in normal school year. There's so much there's so much stuff going on in the school and everyone's so busy and everyone's so mm-hmm. stressed like there isn't that calm comfortable environment where teachers right. are are being like okay it's my prep period i don't have anything better to do i'll go and watch miss jennings classroom um because typically like on my prep periods i've already like planned stuff to do i'm like yeah. actually making copies or making lessons um yeah. I just think it would be great if the district could give us a substitute teacher for the day and the substitute would take over our classes. We'd still report to school and we would just watch other teachers and improve.
1: You know, it's actually now that you sort of mentioned that is crazy. When I was back in Arizona, um, our international baccalaureate program, they actually did pay for subs for each department to actually go to other department members classrooms and watch their instruction. So like
0: right. um,
1: I was teaching Russian, but that uh, they picked one day and then the sub covered for us to go for each period. And so I got to go into the IB German classroom, IB Mandarin, Spanish, French, and um, they didn't teach IB level sign language, um, but we did have that class too. And so they went ahead and let me go into that class too. It's very different, let me tell you, but. I, I think, unfortunately, you said you you need a sub, and so it comes down to money. You know, do the schools oh, have that on, money for professional on. development?
0: One sub that's like a hundred bucks. So, yes. Like, I mean, here we are throwing thousand dollar Chromebooks at kids left and True. right. So I I feel like it's not a lot to ask, but then again, I think right now the finances of the school district is every penny matters. So
1: that's the uh, case. Yeah.
0: Yeah, goodness. Well, I don't know. do do you have any big ideas for how to improve the world of education?
1: I mean, in, in general, honestly, like I think whenever we are able to go back into the classroom, I think that we're gonna see a hunger in the students that we probably have not seen for a very long time um, because I think they're gonna be happy socially to be back with their friends and to see teachers in a personal kind of an environment, not a virtual environment. Um, And I'm just trying to already think of ways that we can continue to build that kind of a, a hunger in the students. And I don't, I just don't know that it's something that can be replicated after our, like, you know, six or so months of. Having a forced school closure. But um, I think in general that students are going to value education a little bit more when we do come back into the classroom. And so I hope that that's something that we can kind of continue to remind them of when those days do get super hectic and they feel like it's all just, you know, frustrating and it's not really a useful method of their time, you know, be like, hey, you guys remember when we were (laughs) on our COVID closure and you remember like, how much you loved watching all of my lecture videos on your own time. <laughs> but I mean, I I just think every teacher can make a difference. It just depends on the class and on the students and and how we can best meet the needs of the students academically, sure, but but also in any other way that we can. And as far as improving education as a whole, no. Maybe I'll run for, you know, some kind of a state. <laughs> supervisor or superintendent of education you never know one day
0: but yeah i'd vote for you vote. You you <laughs> I'll advertise you on the podcast every week
1: oh um, yeah and uh, well
0: and so i i agree with you that when school eventually does return in person some kids will have a hunger for learning but i also think we'll encounter kids on the flip side too kids who have been in netflix video <laughs> game hang out at home mode for the last so many months that they're just not ready to be serious. And I'm experiencing some of those kids in my classes online that are just, you know, as, as soon as I ask them a question, they just log out of the Google Meet. Oh, and, wow. You know, yeah. Like, what, what can I do to that?
1: That's true. I mean, I agree. You're right. It's not going to be a, a Cinderella story, but um, I think in general, everyone will be happier when we do go back into the school. So, I mean, you gotta, you gotta take those victories with the defeats too.
0: But yeah, I, I think a majority of kids will be happy to return. Um, and it's especially for that social interaction with other teenagers, because I think a lot of them have been trapped with mom, dad, and brother and sister for so long. They, they need to just see other kids.
1: My, my kids are three and a little older than three now, but daycare was closed when you know oh. the schools were closed and uh they were sick of me that's for sure they were sick of our house of our tiny backyard and yeah they were feeling it too so i i agree i think i think in general the, the kids miss each other yeah. us by extension but each other most of all
0: well and and do you think there'll be some sort of long-term study of i don't know test scores or how this affects yeah. kids and like do, do you think there'll be a, a way to that future educational historians will reflect on this as a a slump in yeah,
1: yeah the the covid slide um yeah. yeah i i think that there will be i don't know how they would be conducting them but i mean i know some states are canceling their standardized tests i know we still have map testing going on right now or next week i think but uh, It'll, it'll definitely be interesting to see what they use as their data points because we didn't even finish out last school year. So we didn't yeah. have those end of course exams or anything like that. So, you know, if you go back that far, where are we really starting from? Um, and I know even like for teachers, we're, we're kind of sitting there going, well, this year starts off really as finishing up last year. Well, so,
0: and, and let me bring that up, right? Because you teach Russian one, two and three and yeah. So you had to cut last year short at the end of Russian one and two. And here you are starting up Russian two and three now with kids you had last year. But are, are you having to sort of like work double time to get those kids caught up?
1: Um, I, I don't think we're, we're working double time. We have shifted our starting point. So we are uh, still finishing Russian one curriculum from quarter four and in my... Uh, um, so for my Russian two kids, they're still finishing up Russian one. Cause I'm like, well, we can't really move on until you guys know these verbs. Yeah. Um, same thing in Russian three. So they're still finishing up Russian two curriculum. So we've, we've just shifted our starting point. I'm <laughs> like, by the yeah. end of this school year, you know, they'll be at like Russian one and a half and Russian two and a half. And,
0: but that's, and, and that's the whole thing. Cause the kids are never going to get caught up then.
1: Then well, and see, that's like, that's as the teacher you know we have to make those decisions what curriculum is cuttable what isn't and so like for my russian classes i'm like okay well we're going to focus much less on writing and more on speaking and being communicable because otherwise you're right i would never be able to get them where they need to be by the end of the year so i mean it's really interesting too because like my russian three kids are able to take the seal of biliteracy exam but they need to be able to master those skills first. So it's like, if we don't get to those skills, then I, I really can't in good conscience recommend them to take this exam, to get that seal of biliteracy on their diplomas, you know, cause it, it's not fair to them that I haven't prepared them.
0: Huh, wow, yeah, that just really sucks.
1: Yeah, it's a it's an interesting time to be teaching because you sit there and you're like, what can be sacrificed?
0: But, but you can't sacrifice almost anything if they're taking a serious biliteracy exam. You know, yeah. Like, every every moment they're involved in Russian is the more likelihood they'll pass that exam and
1: exactly by- and even the, the exam has a, a speaking component listening component but it also has a written component so even if I say I'm gonna focus less on the written component they still have to be able to read and understand the test questions.
0: Well dang.
1: I know it's it's an interesting time
0: yeah I wish I wish I had words of intelligent wisdom to share but uh, I uh, believe it or not I I think that I'm doing less work than normal in this online universe solely because I have filmed almost all my lessons and my live lessons are sort of these discussions and then I grade
1: stuff. Yeah. I remember you saying that you started your uh, filming over the summer.
0: Yes. That was a very smart move of me. yeah and uh but i mean i i don't know that's just me being a super extra teacher and i i obviously you can't i should have just spent time this summer relaxing or whatever but (laughs) my brain's always thinking about my lessons and always trying to look at you getting ahead well hey i not a lot else to do in the COVID world
1: that's the truth that is the truth i know and i like, I think for me, one of the harder things about doing the online teaching is that there are so many technology tools out there. You know, you've got Edpuzzle, you've got Nearpod, you've got all this stuff out there. And, you know, while we're trying to decide what technology is best for the purpose, you know, it's, it's very difficult when you're like, I just want to pick one and become really good at this technology for the whole year, um, when that particular technology might not be the best thing to use lesson to lesson. And so I find that to be very frustrating because I'm like, I, it's hard to then find the time to learn how to properly use these new technology tools.
0: Yeah. And I, I get emails from other teachers just all the time. Hey, check this thing out. And I'm like, eh, it's not for me, but yeah, it's it is kind of overwhelming. And some of my students were telling me, that it's sort of like every teacher uses Canvas in a wildly different way. Yes. And I mean, that's, that's totally fine for the teachers, but it's terribly complicated for the students.
1: 10%. They,
0: they want some consistency in how they're supposed to turn in their work, how they're supposed to upload their work, how they're supposed to get stuff done. And every teacher kind of has their own style. Um,
1: and let's be honest, Corey, like not every teacher really understands Canvas very and how it correct. works.
0: Yeah. And And I think,
1: I mean, that's supposed to be our learning management system. And it's, it's interesting. And I will say that I was happy to be able to reach out to other teachers who are here at my um, site to ask for help. Because if I didn't have their help, I feel like I would be drowning in the lack of knowledge that I would have of canvas and like how to set competitive curves and how to do all this stuff in it where I'm like, wow, like thank you so much for showing me that because I had no idea.
0: Yeah. I had a, uh, a friend of mine who teaches uh, technology at a middle school here in the Valley. He came over and he showed me all these wonderful things about canvas and how I could utilize it best and I asked some questions. He showed me how to do it. And then I was, I was great. I was, I was, you know, just have someone sit down next to me and show yes. me the words. and if, if I was the superintendent and here I am now getting on my high horse on my podcast. Yeah. If I was the superintendent, what I would have done is I would have had every student come in to schools before the school year started. They would, the kids would wear masks. They would come into just like the main lobby area and a one adult in a mask, would give the kid a Chromebook and that one adult would sort of stand by the kid and talk the kid through how canvas works. How to upload assignments how to log into their gmail just like do that basic instruction for accessibility purposes because danny right now i still have kids who have never logged into one of my lessons never logged into canvas but i get emails from them saying technology is a struggle i'm trying to figure it out and look is that kid bsing me maybe but I think that kid has a legitimate excuse.
1: Well, and you know, the district, like, are we providing packets for the kids who are having tech issues? Because obviously the district's answer was Chromebooks for everyone, hotspots for everyone who needs it. And well, that's all well and good, but I agree in our school, we were lucky enough that we were already a one-to-one school but we used Google classroom and so this has been a big shift for our students, moving from Google Classroom, which it's not an LMS, but then trying to figure out how Canvas works, um, it, it's still a struggle. And I mean, thankfully, I think all of our students have at least logged on to Canvas, whether or not they're there in the live lessons. But I, you know, district wide, it's a big issue, and especially for our ELL students, like you've got oh that gosh. issue compounding the technology issue, and where's their support?
0: you know, I need to talk to like a special ed teacher and see how they're getting through this time. Cause yeah. that just sounds like, like, wow, how do you?
1: Well, and I'd, I'd be interested to see like the district data as far as our special needs students, like how many of them chose to stay enrolled in the school district during this distance learning when realistically, are they able to get those services that they normally would be getting I have a a personal friend whose child is in the same situation and with being faced with what's currently happening in CCSD and the needs of her child, he's in another school where they're face-to-face every day, Monday through Friday.
0: Really? Like a private school or charter or something?
1: Yeah, charter. And, Mm. you know, for her student with these, individualized needs, it, it is the best fit for that student. And then I, I wonder, well, what about CCSD students? How are our students who are the most vulnerable, how are they being helped and how are their needs developmentally and academically, how are those needs being met when all we can do is this on a Google Meet?
0: Yeah, and then and then another idea, and I'm, I'm curious your thoughts about this. High schools, I think, can be done in an online environment. And you've admitted that you're reaching some of your kids. I've admitted that I'm reaching what? 140 kids, but not all of them. Um, middle schools, we could have an argument about middle schools, they're kind of half and half. But elementary, like I have some, uh, my cousin's kids are elementary school students and she's telling me there's all these tech issues and it's it's really hard for there to be some, some good interactions. Um, and uh, I think elementary you could create this system where the 20 kids wear masks, walk into the school, they get in the one room with their one teacher. And then the teacher says, okay, kids, everybody mask off. And then these 20 kids and the teacher are together. And then they have sort of individual recess. The, the lunch gets delivered to the classroom. And at the end of the day, the kids all put their masks on, they walk out, they meet mom and dad in the parking lot with their masks on. So. I think elementary can be set up in this very controlled environment, and I mean, wh- wh- what do you think about that concept?
1: You know, I'll be honest. I I think that the K through well, even pre K through five, I think that they are the ones that need the face to face. Like. Yes, the skills that they learn is you know speaking, reading, writing, and what we're asking parents to do of students that age, I think is unfair because parents now have to become the tutor, but you, parents also have to become the IT specialist. Parents also have to teach these students how to type. Parents have to teach these students how to use the technology and they have to troubleshoot. And it's not just parents. The parents are overwhelmed because they're working too. And so you see the extended family and friends trying to come in and help and it's just too overwhelming. And I would have loved to have seen even a a part day or a hybrid model for the elementary school students where they could at least go to school two days out of the week.
0: Yeah, and I I think there is actually a parent movement right now in Las Vegas pushing for, if nothing else, just elementary students returning to school. And, And I think that the idea that I proposed, which is this 20 student interaction, some people still might say that that's too much of a COVID risk.
1: But even if you could have the 20 students in a class wearing masks, even if you had them in a class with those plexiglass desk dividers, I mean, you're mitigating a lot of the risk and and not saying that every single student out of that 20 would actually want to go back to school. Some parents and some families might be high risk. And I'm sure that some teachers are high risk too, but you could still create that C cohort and do just the distance learning. But I mean, I'm, I'm with you as far as it's so developmentally important socially and academically and cognitively that i i that covid slide you know that we're talking about at the high school level it is going to be exponentially felt at the elementary school level Uh, and personally i was just thankful that my kids are three and we're just worried about daycare and not actual like important things because (laughs) if and we my family and I, we had the discussion where if they were in elementary school, we would have pulled them to put them in another kind of a, a charter school or had to hire a tutor or else I'd be staying home with them full time and teaching them. Uh, uh, because it, it's too, I, I think it's too important. And I think yeah. most teachers agree when we're talking about early childhood development that these are incredibly important formative years for students.
0: Yeah and and the jumps from all the elementary grades cuz I used to live with elementary school teachers and they taught told me about it all the time that like each grade is huge jumps in cognitive ability and skills in math and reading and writing and if if kids are really losing out especially in kindergarten that's step 1 and,
1: and if, they already missed out on quarter 4 last year so
0: oh my god you know so you're basically taking kindergartners and putting them in a second grade that's Crazy, yeah.
1: And I mean, is the teacher going to be able to teach second grade level content, or are they going to have to kind of take it back to like kindergarten year two, like, th- these are the big questions that I, I feel like it's a disadvantage for our students and for our families.
0: Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and it's also pretty discouraging how I know Arizona and Utah basically have almost no COVID restrictions. So many of my students have been telling me that they're getting on a bus, going driving four hours, going to a soccer tournament all weekend in St. George, mm-hmm. Utah, and then coming back to to Vegas. And then in my head, I'm thinking, well, then why are we even on lockdown here? Like, if if y'all are still going all over th- these multiple states and still interacting with people all around the country, yes. a lockdown here just seems rather, rather pointless.
1: It does, especially when you see some of those restrictions on, like, athletics and stuff like that, and yeah. you're like my gym opened back up this summer, and I went once, and masks were not mandatory. And so I was like, okay, like I'm done, only because yep, that's like a high risk too. environment. Because I'm like, dude, people are sweating and they're hacking and Bleeding, they're coughing. And, yeah. yeah. And I was like, no, but like a classroom, and I mean, I don't teach PE, but I would not worry about that risk so much in a classroom, so long as the school and the district enforced 100% masks 100% of the time.
0: Yeah. yeah well jose Jara, if you're or jesus Jara, if you're listening you know we've got some ideas for you
1: (laughs) yeah and i mean i think it's it it just like teachers really want to teach and none of us are instructional designers for the online environment you know we're all kind of doggy paddling as best we can given what we we've been given to work with and and we're trying but i i will say it's it's incredibly stressful on all parties and I mean, I just, I cannot imagine the additional stress of those pre-K through five families because there's just no way that they are getting the one-on-one instruction and attention that those students need to be getting.
0: And, and let me let me add one thing, which I think is almost hilarious how much of a conundrum it is. So you've, you've identified that all parties involved are kind of stressed out with the situation. And I a hundred percent agree with you. And I, I know that, uh, my school and I'm pretty sure every school has been uh, mandated to do some sort of wellness checks, yep, some sort of like, check. yeah, some, some kind of uh way to to contact students. And I know that my school it's also sort of doing wellness checks on the teachers. So it's sort of contacting the teachers, contacting the students saying, Hey, are you doing okay? Hey, how are things? And it's, it's sort of like we already have so much on our plate and we're like, oh my gosh, I don't wanna eat all this. And then you put a cupcake right next to my plate and you're like, eat me too. I'll tell you about how you're doing. I care yeah. about your feelings. Here's one more thing on your plate. I'm like, like I, this is actually making it worse for me. Like, yeah. You
1: know what I mean? The wellness checks take up a lot of my time. And I'm not saying that they're like not helpful, they are. But for the most part, like the phone calls to students and things like that. It's um if I manage to get a hold of a student, because most of the time I, I feel like they just decline oh, boy, me. No, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's me leaving a message, but then I have to log it in the teacher contact log in Infinite Campus, you know, that the attempt was made and and at least your school is checking on the teachers. Ours our school isn't and we've uh like, you know, teachers talk and and you know some of us are feeling that stress so much more than others. And I think it's it's Obviously, like we have 300,000 students to worry about and, you know, teachers are adults, but it, this is a whole new situation that we've been thrown into and teachers have young children too, that we're trying to help through this learning environment virtually. And, uh, I mean, I, I, agree the, the wellness checks it's necessary, but I also know that some schools have it set up so that their counselors are the ones who conduct the wellness checks and and obviously counselors do a lot and they we're still having our 504s and our iep meetings and the the crisis counseling as it occurs but you know that that might be an option for some schools to really think about because like you said the amount of things on our plate right now it's impossible to do it all well and so as a teacher i'm thinking in my head okay well uh, what can i just you know sacrifice and just do that bare minimum in order to get through it. And that's really like how I feel. I feel like I'm in survival mode as a teacher and I I do not like it.
0: Yeah, and I think we even started this uh, conversation today by saying that something that you and I both really enjoy is to build that sense of community in the classroom community with the students. And I think these wellness checks, both on teachers and students are a quasi way to create community and happiness and caring, but it's not... It's not valuable. No it's so much better when you've got that face to face and you're in the room and you're doing the song and dance and you're putting Genghis Khan on trial. You know, it's it's, it's that whole like you can't emulate that in an online setting.
1: And, it's and just you really not possible. Yeah. And it almost feels like an empty gesture, I think, to the students. I, yes.
0: I mean, yes. this is
1: my third week conducting the wellness checks, you know, and and i've got my my roster printed out so that way i have a paper copy that way i know what to log into infinite campus into the teacher contact log and and the kids like i'm starting to just get like the tired answers i'm fine my family's fine thanks for asking bye and i'm like part of me loves those conversations cuz they last like 5 seconds um but you know it, like you said it's it's not an authentic connection it's not yeah. building any kind of rapport with the students or anything like that it's just one more thing on the plate
0: well and and thankfully I had great rapport with so many of my AP human geo freshmen students last year who are now my students again this year in AP world and I've already had like maybe a dozen one-on-one after school conversations hangouts you know and these kids they show up in my office hours but it's basically turned into like share your feelings and your thoughts and talk to Mr. Brown about life liberty and the pursuit of happiness <laughs> And I'm all about that. And I, I think that's a far more effective wellness check when a kid already has a rapport yes. with a trusted adult.
1: But they and, need to have it.
0: Yes, and that's why my freshmen are, my current freshmen now are so disadvantaged because they're they're brand new to high school. They've never met me in person. They All they see is me on this screen. And it's not, yeah, it's not an authentic rapport.
1: Yeah, even like my Russian 2 and 3 students, we have a better class virtual culture going on, but even then it's still not great and I know if we were in person it would be so much better. But every for everyone else they're new to me. So like the 20 Russian 2 3 students I have, we know each other, they know me. And then all 180 of everyone else, they don't they have no idea who I am and how much I really do care about them, but then I'm like, okay, I just got to get through this wellness check. I got 25 minutes to call half my class. Like, let's go yeah
0: <sighs> darn all right well, well we shall
1: see. i mean i'm sure we'll have some more changes starting next week you know oh, the, the changes new, just keep more, rolling
0: they will more emails will keep coming just just you wait it's a it's a fluid world we live in it maybe is. we'll be back in the classroom on the 21st of september who
1: knows <laughs> who knows it could happen stranger a- things
0: a- anything's possible all right. Well, uh, yeah. Anyway, Danny, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's, uh, it's always good sharing some ideas with a respected colleague.
1: Well, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm really glad we were able to do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. And if anybody listening has any future ideas, want to hear anything about the wonderful world of education, please send an email to vegasmoderneducator at gmail.com. Thank you so much.